Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and Captain Cardboard, Noella Croy. And I'm weak and kidney story expert, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we're here today to talk about No Place Like Home, the fifth episode of season five. No Place Like Home aired on October 24th. 2000 and was written by Douglas Petrie and directed by David Solomon. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast, so if you are spoiler sensitive and have not seen the whole show, get on that, then come on back. Your conjuring powders are grotesquely overpriced, so let's go on patrol. In No Place Like Home, a group of monks rushes from danger, performs a spell, and then danger finds them. In a different time and place, Buffy dusts a vampire in a factory parking lot, and when a security guard comes over to tell her she's got to clear out, he hands her a glowy ball, presuming it's hers. To get Dawn out of the house so Joyce can rest, Buffy brings Dawn to the opening of the magic box, where she shows her new glowy toy to the group. Appears to be paranormal in origin. How can you tell? Well, it's so shiny. Buffy complains to Willow about Dawn, wishing she were an only child. She brings Dawn back home, where they find Joyce laid out on the couch with a debilitating headache. Buffy heads out to the hospital to get medication for Joyce, where she bumps into Ben the intern, who is dealing with a screaming man being brought in on a gurney. It's the security guard from the factory, who was fine the night before. He grabs Buffy and tells her that... They can't be the family. They get to your family. Buffy heads to the magic box and reports what the security guard said sure that whatever's happening to Joyce is mystical in nature. In the abandoned factory, one of the monks marks a map just as a woman he calls the Beast busts through the wall. There you are. I've been looking all over for you. The Beast, a beautiful woman we will come to know as Glory, tortures the monk, asking him where she can find the key whatever that is. He refuses to tell her and she starts to rant, getting more and more agitated until she finally sticks her hands into the head of a man she had chained to the wall. Her hands glow as she extracts his mental energy. She calms right down. That is so much better. At the magic box, Anya suggests a spell that Buffy can do to see the magical imprint of whatever is trying to hurt Joyce. Buffy goes home and performs the spell, falling into a trance that allows her to see. She goes out of her room and finds Joyce, but there's nothing there. But then she looks at a picture of her, Joyce, and Dawn, in which Dawn's image flickers in and out. She goes to Dawn's room and sees that Dawn's things also fade in and out of existence. When Dawn walks in, she confronts her. You stay away from my mother. Giles calls Buffy and tells her that they figured out what the orb is. It's a protective device that wards off primordial evil. Buffy goes back to the factory to find out more, At the factory, she finds the room Glory destroyed and the monk tied to a chair. She and Glory fight. Just notice something, you have superpowers. That is so cool. Can you fly? Realizing she can't beat Glory, Buffy grabs the monk and jumps out the window with him, leaving Glory to throw a fit that brings the factory crashing down around her. Out in the parking lot, the monk tells Buffy she must protect the key, mystical energy, that can open a door that will kill everyone. They gave it form, made it into Dawn, and sent it to Buffy, creating memories of a sister so Buffy would protect it. What is she? Human and helpless. The monk says that Dawn doesn't know what she is, that she is innocent, and then he dies. Buffy goes home and apologizes to Dawn and comforts her as they sit together, 
worried about Joyce. All right, Noel. So one of the things I want to kind of start on today as we get into this discussion of No Place Like Home is kind of talking about Buffy season five in general, um, because we have some sort of complicated issues going on here um, with ableism. Um, Yeah, we're going to. Yeah, we're going to have a rough (laughs) ride through Buffy season five with regard to representation of people with mental illness of psychiatric care and the ways in which Glory's victims are otherized and then sort of turned magical, something that we have traditionally loved to do in our stories for like a long, long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, typically when talking about something I have limited knowledge of, such as ableism, I try to find articles written on the topic by people with more knowledge. Um, I didn't find any articles specifically speaking to what's happening in season five. So I'm going to trudge through this as best I can with an open call for insight, article links, anything, uh, from people who know more about this. And I want to thank the patrons in the Chipperish discord chat who shared some of their thoughts with me about it to kind of give me a little bit more perspective, which I really, really appreciated. Um, so we first saw a victim of Gloria's mentally destabilizing powers in real me when a man portrayed to be mentally ill approached Dawn, called her little Miss Muffet and told her she didn't belong here. This is our first instance of a bestowed magical ability to quote unquote see in the mentally ill of season five. Um, The bestowing of the quote unquote magical on the quote unquote other is something that we see a lot in our stories. Uh, Do a search on the magical Negro trope and you will see what I am talking about. Um, Also, let me say for clarity, just because a stereotype may have some positive associations like the ability to see what no one else can, it doesn't make the stereotype any less harmful. It still puts the quote unquote magical other into a space separate from the rest of us. And so these people, while seeing, are still presented as frightening. They are capital O others, and they are the not us. And we culturally associate those experiencing mental illness with fear. Uh, We separate and we stigmatize. And the fact is, most of us have had mental illness at one point or another. The World Health Organization estimates one in four people experiences mental illness at one point or another in their lives. But that's based on those who seek help. Based on my experience talking with my friends and family, I'd estimate that number as much, much higher. Depression, anxiety, obsessive thoughts. Uh, these are the common cold of mental well-being, only in terms of how common they are. But culturally, we dismiss, mock, and otherize people who are living with these and other mental ailments, thus discouraging people from getting the help that they need, thus kind of keeping them in isolation and keeping that cycle going. Um, now, within the text of Buffy itself, the magical effects of the ability to see on Glory's victims comes from Glory's magical effect herself. She is stealing mental energy from her victims, leaving them destabilized in order to hold herself together so she can pull off her evil plans. And to this, you know, as far as the story and the narrative goes, like, I get it. It's magic begetting magic. It's evil stealing mental energy and destabilizing his victims. Glory is evil. That she does this to people isn't really a problem for me. It's what we do to them once she's done that, that is for me the most disturbing. Um, We present these characters as frightening and crazy. Um, Pardon the use of the word, but that is how it's referred to within the text. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that that's how the text is seeing them. Um, Using the momentum of existing cultural stereotypes as a shortcut to justify viewing the mentally ill as having diminished human value. 
Uh, despite being clearly agitated, Glory's victims don't seem to pose any danger to themselves or to others, but they are strapped into beds, ignored, rejected, drugged, restrained, separated. Uh, we'll get to that later in the season, uh, but as we move through the season and the series, it's important to recognize how inhumane our treatment of the mentally ill really is. Instead of caring humanely for people stricken by Glory's evil, we see them dismissed and set aside. They are objects of fear, social rejection, and isolation, which again are things that only serve to exacerbate mental illness, not heal it. And in this episode, we have Willow, one of our most beloved characters, using an ableist slur to describe Dawn. The way that Allison Hannigan delivers the line is cute. The delivery is adorable, which is a textual support of the idea that this kind of demeaning comment is cute and not damaging. And this is where I come in and I say that I personally, I think, I think Noelle has a different opinion and, and um, I'm going to give her some room to, to share that in a minute. Um, I don't blame the writers or Alison Hannigan. This is a societal problem. Our stories are reflecting us back at ourselves. And when we fix us, we fix our stories. So I want to say again, for the record, what I've said a million times, I don't blame the actors or the writers for this stuff. I blame us as a society. When we demand better, we get better. Um, so so at the time of this recording, uh, many of us are experiencing social isolation as we try to flatten the curve of a virus rampaging through our world. Many of us who haven't had issues with mental illness likely will experience depression, anxiety, obsessive thoughts, any number of things could start working their way in uh, to how we're feeling emotionally and mentally during these times. And those of us who have experienced these illnesses may find them returning or worsening. And when we stigmatize and isolate those of us with mental illness, we make the problem worse. People who might have gotten help otherwise will not reach out. People who might be experiencing symptoms of mental illness may deny that they have it, try to push through without allowing themselves the time, space, and help they need to get through it. So when there are stories like this that further stigmatize and otherize mental illness, it's something we need to recognize and reject. And again, I will say, it's not to say that you cannot enjoy stories that engage in this. Let's remember, it's not because these stories are written by people who have this deliberate and evil intent to harm. These stories are reflecting us back at ourselves. When we change, they will change. And this was also, you know, the early aughts. Mm -hmm. Now, I think people wouldn't do this. They have more um, more awareness because we have more awareness as a society. So I think that we're seeing that change. But this is also 20 years ago. Not saying that it's OK, saying that I'm, I, I am hesitant to brand everybody who wrote this and was involved with this as full on evil. Um, <laughs> I think that there's I think that there's a space where we can allow for the change that we need as a society. I would, however, brand our society as fucking evil in a lot of ways. Uh, but the bottom line is, um, if you are suffering from mental illness, stress, anxiety, depression, or substance abuse issues, you can call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration's helpline 1-800-662-HELP-4357. Again, 1-800-662-4357. We're going to see many instances of this sort of thing in this season of Buffy, and it may be a rough ride for some. Self-care can mean distancing yourself from material that's upsetting, and that's okay. But we see you, we hear you, we send our love and support, and we'll be here if ever you want to come back. Um, so I'm going to pass this over to Noelle. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I mean, first off, like I absolutely co-sign the form of self-care that is just like 
walking away from shit that triggers you, you know, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And you don't need to feel ashamed of that. I think there's a lot of I think in addition to there being a lot of stigma around, you know, experiencing mental illness or physical illness or really any of the nuanced, you know, like complicated Mm -hmm. bits and pieces of like being a human in a human body with a human mind. Mm -hmm. There's so much stigma attached to so much of that. And, you know, this is this is your one life, unless you believe in reincarnation. And then, you know, we'll have that conversation (laughs) another time. But like this, this is your one incarnation in this body with this mind, Mm -hmm. whatever you need to do to make your life you know, as good as it can be and worth living, as long as you're not mean and you're not hurting anybody else, do right. it, do it, do it, do it. So if like not engaging is the thing to do, mm-hmm. do that. And that's rad. Right. Um, my quick add on to the culture reflects us back to us mm-hmm. is just that it also helps to create us. Mm-hmm. Um, culture you know, it's circular, right? It reflects yeah, us back absolutely. to us, but it also shapes who we are, which mm-hmm. is part of why it sucks so much. And it's such a bummer when a performer whose work has affected me deeply says something transphobic. Sure. Or yeah. it's I mean, it's why people get into Twitter standoffs about who the real fans of a property are. Right. But whether we know it or not, we look to media to tell us how to behave, what is and what is not okay who and how to love, and who and how to ridicule, mm-hmm. um, which is why my knee-jerk reaction when you say, I don't blame the writers or I don't blame <laughs> the performers, is always to say, I do, um, okay. <laughs> which is not entirely fair uh-huh. because they're human. I mean, this is blame. I don't believe in, in you know, pointing fingers and placing blame necessarily, but mm-hmm. but I do believe in looking to responsibility like where's the responsibility um but of course mm-hmm. writers are human performers yeah. are human and humans do a lot of less than great things mm-hmm. uh interpersonally creatively whatever <laughs> so you know <laughs> right like, so i think that you can say something like well i blame the writers for this without saying like the writers are horrible evil people because i don't believe in evil people mm-hmm. personally <laughs> um, I don't. I don't. I don't oh, believe that I anyone. Do. <laughs> I don't believe. I don't believe in evil people. Like right. I, that. That to me is a level of like metaphysical knowledge that I, in my human body uh-huh. and brain, just like cannot possess. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know. But humans. I mean, human people <laughs> do a lot of really not cool things. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes by accident and sometimes on purpose and sometimes because it was okay at the time and sometimes because they just didn't care or whatever. There are lots of reasons for it. So, you know, bottom line for me is we are all human here, Mm -hmm. unless there are some goblins or fey creatures or dragons (laughs) tuning in, in which case, welcome to Still Pretty! I don't. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's, no, that's all. I, that's all. I, it's no. I get it though, and I honestly think that maybe we're coming down to a semantic uh, argument because I think that for me, it's like what's done is done. 
What's done is done. Nothing's going to oh, go totally. back and take this out of Buffy. Um, and that I don't believe at all that there was any ill intent in any of the writers who wrote this. Um, and and now we have a greater understanding of these things. So from here, if somebody wrote this now, I would be much more inclined to hold them responsible um, than what they did back then. I think that it is our responsibility as readers to defang these things and to take totally. that power back. Um, because yes, you know, our, our our media tells us how to behave and how to love and how to ridicule and all of that kind of stuff. But a dash of critical thinking takes that power back. And I feel like oh, that sure. power needs to be in the hands of the reader um, and not necessarily in the hands of the media that we give them too much power. Um which also makes for a situation where somebody with the best of intentions can do something awful. And I take this, I am very personal about this. I've read some of my books that I wrote many years ago um, and have found things in there where I was like, do better, Lonnie, you know? Um, so like, I get it. I, I feel this very deeply from, from knowing that in no way ever, ever, ever did I mean to do that, but I did it. Like it was in yeah. there, you know. Um, so, uh, so I, I guess like my expectation is, um, or my my I- ideal of this is that we as readers, and again, like for everybody who doesn't know, I use reader for anybody who engages um, critically with anything, whether it be a video game or a movie or a TV show or a book or whatever. It's always reader because reading requires an active participation, and you can have active participation in movies and TV and all that kind of stuff as the gazillion podcasts such as this one will attest right um (laughs) but that it is it is the responsibility of the reader to take that power back and to say you will not tell me how to think you will not tell me what to believe um and while this is in this story i can reject it i have that power and uh, and we've been taking that power back as critical thinkers in the last i don't know 10 years or so um which i think is a really really good thing and it also takes um it puts uh, awareness out in the culture for uh, for our writers and for our creators, which is good. And I think we're seeing things now. Um, we're seeing people have a, a greater awareness of what they're doing now in their stories than they did 20 years ago. I think it's all a good thing. Um, but somebody who did something 20 years ago, I'm not interested in in passing blame or judgment or any of it. I'm interested in as a reader, um, taking that poison out with my critical thinking so that I can enjoy the rest of it because, oh my God, Noelle, I love yeah. season five. Season five I is really, really good. Five so, so, so much. So I just want everybody to know we've had this whole long conversation. As I love on season five, I recognize the ableism. I see you and, I, and we're going to call that out while at the same time giving us a place to love the stuff that's good. Right. Well, and also, like, you can love this stuff that's bad too. Like, I have a really complicated relationship with mental illness just mm-hmm. from my own, my own history and people in my life. Yeah. And I fucking love the whole thing with Glory and her cognitive fuckery. Right. Like, I, I love it. So I don't have something, a problem with that. Yeah. Like, but also, like, just, that's. My point is you can love like something can be like something can be fucked up and you can still love it. You know, like you can be critical of something. You can be like you can choose not to internalize. See, this is the thing. I can choose to look at this stuff and see um, and see all of it and not internalize that as a um, 
you know, first of all, as something that would be my response to the mentally ill or as somebody who's dealt with depression and anxiety, you know, like, I mean, I've had these things. I've dealt with these things. I've had moments where my view of the entire world was not aligned with reality. Like, I've had that experience uh, a bit in the last three or years or so, you know. Um, and uh, so, like, uh, and I can also like not as somebody whose mental illness is is not quite as much of a challenge as for some other people it might be like you know everything's on a spectrum you know um i can also not allow this to to make me judge or be afraid the the I, I love Glory's um, magical effect. I think that that's good. I don't have a problem with what she does to people. Um, what bothers me is that then these um, these people, these victims of hers are being used to inspire fear of mental illness, fear of uh, people with mental illness. Um, and then it breaks my heart at the end of the season when you see where all of these people have gone, yeah. strapped to beds drugged um left in a room together in the dark no like all of that the way in which these people are treated i find more horrifying than the people themselves so yeah and something about the horror of it for me is really comforting because it is a visual metaphor for a very real experience i mean or not even a metaphor in some cases. I mean, depending on where in the world you're looking and where in history. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, oh God. I love yeah. I love that kind of horror as a. Uh, uh, what? I don't I, like. Yeah, no, but you like that. Like, you actually I can do. appreciate horror. I don't. I do. So personally, love, for me, I find that way too upsetting. Like there's something, there is something very appealing to me about that. Not, not conceptually, obviously, but as a story. Like there, that right. there is something really, um, I don't know. It's interesting. Like that is an interesting thing about fiction, though, isn't it? That yeah. like. In the world, you look at something like that and go, oh, fuck, that's mm-hmm. who like that's horrifying. Right. And in fiction, I mean, I'm sure it's not just me. Maybe it's just mm-hmm. me. Maybe, you know, it's just me on this island. But like you can look at something like that and go, yeah, like there's, well, there's something maybe very it helps satisfying. You, maybe it helps you process a little bit of that reality of that very stark horrible reality um but it is really interesting though and i think that the more power we take back again critical thinking honestly for me is like that's the key critical thinking if everybody can just think critically so much would be so much better you know and including the power of the media and our our stories to tell us not how things are in that story fictional world which i think that the um that you you are responsible for but like how things should be in the world itself that when we mm. allow ourselves to think critically we can really take that power back um so that we can enjoy these things the way that they are represented um in this season of of buffy um but i just wanted to have that conversation so that we got that addressed 
um, so that people who very reasonably find this incredibly difficult um, can maybe work with it. Because obviously, if they're listening to us, this may be very difficult, but they also love Buffy. So if there's a way that we can have this discussion, um, kind of take that power back a little bit and create a space where people who are um, who are hurt by that representation can appreciate the rest of the season. Let's see if we can do that. I mean, <laughs> no pressure, right? No pressure. Well, let's let's give it a shot, right? I believe very strongly totally. in the power of critical thinking. I believe very oh, yeah. strongly in that power, and I think yeah. that is the ultimate um, um, expression of criticism cultural criticism in general um totally. I, I i'm not interested in being the superior wagging my finger at people and telling them how they done bad um i am interested <laughs> in looking at these things critically and with uh, with an interest toward understanding them on a higher level um and taking that power back for people so that more people can appreciate and and engage with it and enjoy it because there is so much great stuff uh okay so no place like home it's been a half hour of this and I'm glad that we had this discussion. But I, love I really it. want to talk about this episode <laughs> um, because I find this episode just absolutely um God, it's so interesting. I love the way that we've had this revelation of who Dawn is. But, you know, yes. as always, Noelle, as always, the first thing that I want to do in any episode of Still Pretty is find out what you thought. How do you feel about No Place Like Home? <laughs> I feel very much, with the appearance of Glory, I feel very much like, okay, finally. Like, here we go. <laughs> I know, really, but because I, I love there's there's mm -hmm. a lot to love in episodes one through four sure, of season sure. five, but like season five is season glory for me, oh. and I just yeah. I'm so excited to see her, and she's so strong, right? You know, crashing through the wall. Like first, I'm like, okay, I here we go, know. here we go, mm -hmm. um, and there, I mean. And there's a lot, there's a lot going on in season five. Yeah. yeah. Like, have I said that every yeah. episode previously? But seriously, like, not just the revelation about Dawn, but this uh -huh. parallel between, you know, the, you know, being physically incapacitated in Joyce's case and being mentally incapacitated and what mm -hmm. have we done to the minds of, yep. you know, these people in order to create dawn the key mm -hmm. and what and, and give her a physical form so there's all of this this dance of like the physical and the mental and Buffy's role is changing yet again as yeah. she steps into a different kind of caregiving mode mm -hmm. while yep. also having this friction with a younger sister and there's so much going on there's so much going on it's yeah it's like it it's a lot um and before we dive into like every single little character bit of deliciousness that is here, uh -huh. I just want to talk about the title real quick. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. Because No Place Like Home for me immediately sparks Wizard of Oz, right? Oh, sure. The mm -hmm. quote unquote magic words that return right. Dorothy to Kansas, except the movie. And I'm going to talk about the movie because visual media to visual media is just how I roll. Right. Um, mm -hmm. The movie wants us to believe that the trip to Oz took place entirely in Dorothy's mind while she was unconscious because yes. the relationship between magic and head trauma is everywhere, folks. Like, mm -hmm. it's just it's just everywhere. Um, and I am fascinated by that. Mm -hmm. The idea that you would have this really powerful experience, you know, yeah. in Dorothy's case, this journey to Oz, in Buffy's case, 
her entire remembered experience of yeah. growing up with mm-hmm. Dawn as a younger sister and have it be false or not of weight, not of quote unquote real life as though mm-hmm. that's a thing that we can right. measure or not of waking life. I mean, it's in the same vein as, and it was all a dream. Right. I am fascinated by the weight of the revelation about who Dawn is on Buffy, the the mm-hmm. new weight, you know, because because Buffy wasn't carrying enough already, right? You guys, right. but like to have, you know, when she's called uh-huh. to be the Slayer, mm-hmm. there's this immediate focus on her body and her strength and her speed and her training. Mm-hmm. You know, she does, as Glory says, she has superpowers. Yeah, she really does. Now, she has this she, something. Something else has been done to her. Mm-hmm. without her permission but this time it's mental yeah and anytime there's stories about cognitive shifts mm-hmm. are extremely compelling um to me at least because of what they tell us about our feelings with regard to agency powerlessness that moment when mm-hmm. Um, Buffy comes back to the house at the end of the episode and she says to, you know, she's talking to Dawn and trying to apologize. And mm-hmm. she says, you always do such and so ever since. And then she stops herself yeah. because she has this new piece of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And in the same moment that she is trying to make amends with Dawn and trying to comfort Dawn, she's also grappling with her own, this, this huge revelation of what has yeah. been done to her mind yeah. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. The kinds of magical experiences that we can communicate through mm-hmm. any sort of twist of cognitive functioning, including yeah. trance state, which also figures in this episode. And I just adore. How do you feel about the trance? I know you hate dream sequences. I know you hate flashbacks sometimes. Oh, yeah, no, but the trance the trance is a real experience in real time though. So it's not something used deliberately to uh or predominantly, you know, which is the case in general dream sequences. I think Buffy gets a little bit of a pass because the dreams are such a part of her power, you know. Um mm-hmm. and they tend to be prophetic rather than, you know, symbolic with the exception of Restless, which whatever. Um I still can't <laughs> with Restless. Um but uh, but the trance state I thought was actually pretty cool because here we have this ability to see reality in a different in a shifted space, right? You know, and when you're talking about um, about like a, a mental illness, which I don't think they deliberately want to talk about, but they kind of brought into the conversation. So fuck all y'all, we're gonna talk about it. Um, when you talk about that, like you know, like I was just talking about that, like that that like altered reality experience that I've had a lot in the past few years, and now I'm at the point where I can recognize when it's altered reality, but when I'm in that space, I experience that as reality. So Mm -hmm. the fact is, reality itself is somewhat malleable. But when you see Buffy going into this space, which is really interesting in the way that it's visually represented, we can see when she snaps into and snaps out of it by this uh, Mm -hmm. change in the way the the, um, 
the videos treated, you know? Um, yeah. And, um, and so we've got that, that moment where she is actually seeing reality and you see Dawn flickering in and out when she's in Dawn's room, the it, it's a storage room half the time. And then it's a young girl's bedroom. The other half of the time, Dawn flickers in and out when she comes in to the, to the room itself. Um, I, I actually quite like that as a, um, as kind of a, a treatise on what actually is reality. Like if yeah. you have these memories and these experiences, if you have them, whether or not they actually happened, does that become immaterial? Because Dawn is there now. Dawn is real now. That um, that her experience of her history has been altered adding this person in. But right now that is still her experience of that history so and it is a shared experience everybody else has it too so yeah. does that then become actual reality um what where does actual reality stop what is it that, <laughs> what is it that defines actual reality right right you know i mean those are questions that are way too big for me on this podcast yeah well and like nobody knows nobody right. really knows and that's great which is what i love yes um but having to in addition to everything else that's going on for Buffy, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just even in this episode, this episode alone, trying to juggle, you know, being positive for Giles about the opening of the magic box with concern about her mother mm-hmm. with this, you know, here's this mysterious orb, which, as we know, in Sunnydale could be great or it yeah. could be terrifying. Like, it yeah. could be anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's, you know... Plus, just the mundane, annoying little sister stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a lot for Buffy to be dealing with just within this little narrative. And then mm-hmm. she gets in this colossal fight with yep. something. She has no idea what glory is at this point, And neither mm-hmm. do we. Yeah. Um, you know, if we're watching this the first time. Which I so envy people who got to watch this without knowing like i what what can you imagine you're like no the first time i was just i was so into i mean season five the experience of watching season five the first time for me um was i loved it season five was my favorite season because it was the one that that surprised me the most you know um there's so, so much stuff delightful. they're doing in, in this season that is so bold and so interesting. And yeah, I mean, there are things like the people, there are a lot of people who don't like Glory. And like, I get it. I love Glory. I don't. Um, Glory. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, folks. I don't get it. No, I love, well, go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you thought my love of Maggie Walsh was disproportionate, unfounded, and obnoxious, you ain't seen nothing yet. I do. I love Glory. Like, um, I I love her. Um, I love her snark. I love her dialogue. I love like all of this stuff they've got going on with her. Um, there's just something about that character and about Claire. Kramer's uh you know presentation of that character um I just love all of it like I am completely here for it this was a character that was made to delight me and I hear the arguments for people who don't like glory like I I'm willing to like understand where that's coming from at the same time 
I am going to just love up on Glory as we're doing this season because there's so much here that I find so delightful. In this episode, she's weirdly sympathetic, which is something I she absolutely is. adore. Like, she is. First thing, she's vulnerable. Yeah. She is so interesting mm-hmm. and so clearly not someone you want to hang around. Like, I love... I love the abuse dynamic. That sounds really horrible to say, but I love how recognizable this is. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, she's a mean mommy, right? She's, yeah. you know, this is hurting me more than it's going to hurt you. Oh, yeah. And it's, yeah. I don't, I'm, her whole something. There's You're something so seriously selfish. wrong with me. Yeah, don't you so, know how this affects me? I mean, uh-huh. yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. It's interesting. She's also like she has a clear goal. I mean, as we're going to discover, like we don't really know what it is now aside from finding the key. But like we know that she has been locked out of her world, her existence. And so she wants that back. And it's Mm -hmm. so much more interesting instead of just evil for evil's sake or even the search for power for power's Mm -hmm. sake. And as we learned with the mayor in season three, a vulnerable villain is really, really fun because you can have that sense of sympathy. And I think for the for the mayor that came in with his love of faith and mm-hmm. with Glory, I think it comes in with the fact that she is all of this power strapped into this human body that cannot handle it. Yeah. Um, and, and she um, doesn't enjoy it. I love no. I love her relationship to humans and mm-hmm. a human body. Mm-hmm. That to me feels <laughs> it feels strangely relatable. This yeah. like. Like her being disgusted with being in a mortal meat suit. Yeah. I'm like, I, well, I feel this like in you my, understand that, right? <laughs> I feel this on a cellular level. This yeah. like having a body, man, like it is sometimes it's fun, but a lot of times it's like miserable and not, <laughs> and you're like, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I signed up for as a, as a super powerful being from another dimension. I, yeah. I'm a super powerful being from another dimension. And the fact that I am stuck in a human body is just a huge bummer. It's just an ruining insult. my whole day. It yes! is such an insult. Yeah. It's um, so good. So I love all of that. And then the fact that she she starts to spin out, and that's when she has to steal mental energy from humans to keep herself grounded. Um, like the fact that she is she's doing it. I mean, she's clearly evil. She's doing this to other people. She's hurting other people. She's not doing it to hurt them. She's doing it because she needs something and she doesn't care about them. Right. Right. But she needs something from them. Um, And then the fact that that transforms them into people who can see, which is going to become very uh, relevant at the end of the season, um, that these are actually all of these people that she stole from are what actually leads to her downfall. You know, Um, I like that. Like, I like the way that that is used, you know, structurally, narratively throughout the the season and what it does for glory. Glory in that, like when somebody's when you got a villain that's evil just for evil's sake, that's just tying <laughs> girls to a railroad track because I guess that was cool at some point. I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know why that's a fun pastime. You why you gotta do get, that? Yeah, I mean, the movies, you know, but gotta make your own fun when you're I evil. Guess, I guess. I guess, but like at the same time, like when when evil exists simply because of you know that there is a means to an end, and I'm going to do this regardless of how it affects 
anybody else. Like I find that much more interesting, especially because her ends, you know, what it is that she's working toward her goals um, as we move through. I mean, at this point, we don't know what that is and that's completely appropriate. That's fine. But as Mm -hmm. we move through the season, we're going to learn what her goals are, what it is that she wants, what it is that she's working for. And in none of it does she deliberately want to hurt anybody. She just wants what her, what's hers back and sees humans the way that like we might see ants, yeah, you know, like what do they matter? Well, and she's shadow Dorothy, right? She yeah. just wants to go home. Yeah. She just wants to go home. I love shadow Dorothy. I think she that that's is. great. I love that, that um, connection. Yeah, she yeah. absolutely is, you know? Yep. Yep. And this is so, this is Oz. Yeah. Um, so I find that um, really super fascinating. Now, uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Dawn, right? Because this is essential. Like we had Dawn thrown in at the end of Buffy versus Dracula. We've had three episodes where we're just <laughs> like, oh, OK, I guess apparently Dawn is a thing. Whereas viewers, you're experiencing this gaslight situation where you're like, this is not reality, you know. Um, and then to have this moment where first we see Dawn as a as a potential source of evil right and then we have that terrible scene with Joyce where Dawn is all super creepy in a way that she would absolutely not be that's bullshit but um is it it worked yeah. it worked for me it worked for me but we'll talk about that in a no, minute no yeah I'll, we'll talk about that in a second I'll tell you why that doesn't work for me and it's great okay. that it works for you like that's you know but it just like I, I don't like it because it, it violates some writing things that I I personally myself hold a little sacred which is don't lie to your audience but um but Buffy to have this moment where Buffy throws her against the wall thinks that she is evil thinks that she is hurting her mother right um what are you right and then goes and finds this monk and the monk says she is human she is a little girl she is innocent um and that you must protect her and that by by putting her in your family and making you love her um we know that you will protect her like when this revelation happened that this is what Dawn was, I loved it. I think it is so because it puts Buffy in this in this situation where she has all these memories that are not quote unquote real, although again, define although, real. Who says yeah. Define real, you know? <laughs> um, and then she's got this sister that irritates her and drives her crazy, but who she loves. That moment at the end when she goes in to sit with Dawn. And just touches her hair and apologizes and says, I had a bad day. And then Dawn's like, join the club. I'm president. You could be janitor. It's it's all of it so sweet and so touching and so heartbreaking because she does genuinely love Dawn. And in that moment is realizing that Dawn isn't quote unquote real. I think there's an argument that she's she's real now. She's both real and not real. She's both and, real and not real. Yeah. And, I mean, what and and there's a grief for uh, for the things that she had in her life that were pre-dawn but without dawn that she's lost, you know? Um and then all of this dawn stuff being in there that she has to kind of deal with like I love the complexity of all of this, of of how it, it takes Buffy and kind of pulls her in these different directions at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And and I absolutely love the way that they they put Dawn in there. And Dawn has been a huge source of controversy. There are people who like Dawn. There are people who hate Dawn. There are people who are really indifferent to Dawn. I love Dawn. I love Dawn as a narrative function. 
um, the mm-hmm. way that they brought her in. And I, I love Dawn, the character, for the most part. There are times where she gets irritating and, and we don't know what to do with her. I think that happens mostly in season six. Um, but but for the most part, like I really, really love Dawn. What is your response to all of this? I, well, I love Dawn and I love I agree with you completely that scene at the end where Buffy goes to her and is clearly has all of these, like she has so much information Mm -hmm. that she has just Mm -hmm. gained about who this person is, you know, after, after having the experience of seeing her disappear from family photos and seeing her in the context of this trance state Mm -hmm. that is, enabling Buffy to see magic and not understanding what that means to then hear yes she is magic Mm -hmm. but she is also a human girl and she has no idea yeah who she is it's so touching and then they have that moment where they're sitting on the bed together and Mm -hmm. Buffy is petting Dawn's hair and Dawn just says what's wrong with mom oh god and Buffy says I don't know I know And I'm like getting choked up because we've had all of this drama and all of this suspense over, you know, thinking, is Dawn evil? Mm -hmm. Is Dawn what's hurting Joyce? Is, you know, what is going on to she's literally just a little girl and she's scared because her mom is sick. Oh, my God. It's so heartbreaking. And the stakes (laughs) of that. The stakes of this, that like right away, you know, now like what is at stake, what is at risk is her sister, you know, Um, that's so personal, that's so, that cuts so deep. And yet it's, it's a person that she has, you know, and again, like what is reality? It's a person that she's really only been with for a few weeks, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so freaking wild and crazy and and creative and all of this coming in this episode right there's so much in this episode so (laughs) so much and i love it but here's okay so to that one scene this is why i think it's bullshit um to that one scene where uh buffy is off at the factory fighting with glory and is about to discover what's going on with dawn but we as the audience do not know yet that dawn is not evil um joyce comes home and there is dawn looking like the the quote-unquote creepy little girl trope right you know um with yeah with the the tea and i I made you tea. Don't worry about her. Like the way that they had her deliver those lines and the things that they had her say are things that in in the context of Dawn is evil and going to hurt Joyce makes sense. In the context mm-hmm. of Dawn is just a kid, you know, don't make any sense. Like it only it only tracks for one read on that scene, which means that we're deliberately misleading and freaking out our audience with something that would not be reasonable or believable in the actual, you know, correct understanding. You need to write a scene that both gives the creep vibe here and yet when watched again while knowing everything also works for that. If you don't do that, then you're lying and misleading your audience. You're lying to and misleading your audience. So that is why I have a problem with that scene. And I don't see it as being quite as misleading as you do, Mm -hmm. because to me, it's still, despite the fact that Buffy is not there, Mm -hmm. it still feels very much in Buffy's POV, oddly, 
we're still yes. experiencing Dawn because we are coming on this journey mm-hmm. <laughs> to Dawn right. through Buffy. Mm-hmm. So we're still with Buffy in that moment. But watching it back when you know that Dawn is just a, an innocent child mm-hmm. in all of this, it reads to me like the kid who is hurt and upset trying too hard. Now, yes, it has that like veneer of creep, like the way that it's yeah the the vi- like visually absolutely, but the tea I made it for like I'm going to stuff down my feelings about having gotten into this really very scary fight, having been with thrown against the wall by her Slayer by power someone sister. who has superpowers. Yeah, that's I mean that's I a mean, real scary thing. Yeah, no, I just um. I don't I don't think we can be in Buffy's POV if she's not there. Um and uh and also like I it it doesn't work for me on both levels, but I'm glad that it works for you. That you can I mean, see both not... of them. I don't I don't see it. I think it's way too hard weighted toward um toward the evil side. The same way that we have like in the earlier scene, do you think I care that you're the slayer? You know? Um yeah. like that kind of stuff, which is just things that like I don't that think works that, I don't think that Dawn yeah, it works a little better, but still, I don't think Dawn would say that. Um, you know, under these circumstances, it's 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 weighted to make us believe that Dawn is the source of the evil rather than letting us like if you if as a writer, if you work into um, into the momentum you've already set up, you don't have to work that hard. Um, there's a there's a, <laughs> a an editing um, practice that was done like the Russians in the early parts of the, the 20th century were doing incredible work with this new medium of film. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. um, I can't remember the name of the Russian. And I want to say it starts with a V, but I've taught this in my production class uh, when I was teaching television production that um, that if you take the same shot like of a, of a character, like an actor without any expression at all, mm-hmm. and then you edit mm-hmm. it next to a picture of a flower, people mm-hmm. read him as happy. People read him as, mm-hmm. as joyous. And if you edit it yep. next to a picture of a coffin, people read it as sad. But the yeah. expression, the shot of the man is exactly the same. It's the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So you don't mm-hmm. have to work that hard if you have context <laughs> to work with. So if you work on the momentum of your context, um, you don't have to work that hard making Dawn super, super creepy. And also little girls, um, the way that, that little girls, specifically, sometimes small children, but specifically little girls are used in, in media, there's a creep factor to it anyway. If you have a little girl who is not acting like a little girl, there's just like this this creepy kind of element to it anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. because anything that is anything that is not expected mm-hmm. for your gender and or position in society is inherently... yes suspect inherently suspect that's great that's exactly i mean right so you don't need to you don't need to work that hard with dawn to make her seem creepy all you have to do is give her um you know give her a lack of affect you know in that which i would understand considering she'd just been you know basically abused by her sister at this moment you know yeah, she's trying to be strong i mean they hit it a little hard with the suspense horror they did tropes Mm -hmm. but it like, I don't know. I guess I have more, I guess I have more grace for it than you do because I like those suspense horror drops. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. I don't, maybe that's it. I don't have a lot of patience and for it. Mm-hmm. Also, and also that scene with Dawn 
like swooping into the living room while Buffy's on the phone. Yeah. And the way it's immediately followed by the scene of Buffy yanking Spike out from behind the tree. Oh, let's talk about Spike, baby. Masterful. Oh, my God. Masterful. Spike. Okay, first of all, Spike has no place in this narrative. He is not part of this story. None. There's nothing no. going on. I love this moment. He's there. He's just realized that he's in love with her. She pulls him out from behind the tree, right? Oh and God. he just goes, hi, Buffy. Like, in this in this seventh grade, I'm about to pass you a note in study hallway, which is goddamn adorable and then she's oh like I, she, she, and what'd she say like excuse me and then she punches him in the face don't take this don't personally, take this personally. <laughs> <laughs> punches him in the face um and then is what are you doing and five words or less and out for a walk bitch you know like the whole thing is 30 seconds of just oh, goddamn God. delight even though it has no place in the narrative I don't care. That's how good it is because you know how I am about keeping my narrative tight. I don't even care. I love it. And then when she looks down and sees all the cigarette butts at the yep. base of the tree that he's been standing out there outside of her house yep. this whole time and he's evil and he's wrong and he's soulless and I still go, oh. <laughs> I I don't go, oh, but I do love him with no chill. Yeah. The, and yeah. you have stupid hair. And you've got stupid Your house hair. is between <laughs> parts and other and parts. And he just has nothing. Like, he just... <laughs> oh, my God. It is. It's so perfect. It it has no place in the narrative, but I feel like it has place in the structure because. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, we need that break. We need that break. We like, we need that emotional break. We absolutely we really do. do. And just and the delivery James Marsters in it is so sweet. And oh, I mean, this God. is the thing like he like that vulnerability of being in love with Buffy, especially for Spike, because love is his vulnerability of choice. Like love is his vulnerability language. Right. When Spike is in love, <laughs> um, it alters everything about him. It was like that with Drusilla. It's like that with Buffy. Um, and he loves completely with everything that he is, including the evil that he is. I yep. I find that love story. And again, like, you know, the, the Buffy side of that love story, I don't think is truly realized until season six and seven, you know, um, which, yeah. and it's a very complicated path getting there, you know, and that is fine. It's Some fine. of us, <laughs> but that you can tell a one sided love story. You can tell yeah. a one sided love story. If love exists, whether it exists on both sides or not, you can tell that. And, and of course, you know, I have a soft spot. You have a soft spot for, for creepy girls, right? I have a soft spot for love oh, yeah. stories. So seeing this love story um, evolved for Spike, which is going to hit its like crescendo. Like when we get to Fool for Love, man, I, it is going to be it's going to be a long <laughs> goddamn day of you listening to me just squee over that shit. Um, but I I love this moment. I love the intense vulnerability for him. I love how funny it is. I love how clueless Buffy is. She sees all those cigarettes and she's like, huh. Eh, whatever and she just walks away it's spike <laughs> it's spike spike is just a weirdo um but i just i love it i love it so much and i love her calling him william right like it's 
It's very much the, mm-hmm. you know, the mom, mom doing the three name call. Like, yes. <laughs> I mean, you're one of the three name people. So, you, you know, that doesn't, it's not as effective for you. But right. the three no, name when call, I was a then kid, you're, though, when my mom said when Lonnie, you were a kid, Diane though. Rich, like mm-hmm. I knew I was in trouble. When I was a kid, you I was just were. Lonnie, right? You know, so like I picked up Lonnie <laughs> Diane Rich as a professional name because Lonnie Rich sounds so empty I don't know it was weird I don't know I just couldn't but yeah like when my mom used all three names I knew shit was going down you you know and William and she only uses William I think she only calls him William like twice in the entire run one is here and one is in season six I believe when she breaks up with him and uh, as you were, I think it is um, oh, because God, he's so good because she's she's <laughs> having sympathy for him. So this is the mom thing, you know, and then the other one is trying it's... to connect with his human side. And it's just like the, yeah. the use of William has so much power. And I love it. I love it here. So good. It's so good. So it's good. so good. Um, the other thing I absolutely love in this episode is the magic box. I love all yes. things magic box. First of all, I love that it's called magic box, which is also a euphemism for a vagina, I believe. Um, then there's uh, Anya. If it's not, it is now. It is now. It should be. It should be. I think at one point I started calling it that. And I don't know if it was because of Buffy and I started calling it that or if somebody else called it that or whatever. But anyway, it's a magic box. Um, I love the magic box. I love Giles um, in his. I love the the. A silent joke in his uh, Sorcerer's his, Apprentice outfit in the beginning. Hat. I love oh my that. God, his I little love cloak. Willow oh comes in and says, "Where's your cloak and hat?" Um, I love Anya's competence um, and her new role as working for Giles, which I think is wonderful. Um, I love Xander's confidence as the guy that people confide in and go to for comfort. Even Giles, Giles turns to Xander for comfort, and I freaking love it. And Xander's just like. Yeah. Stay British. You'll be okay. Hate to see the thousand yard (laughs) stare and a man in retail. Um, I could live without Willow and Anya's tension, which is about Xander. We're going to get that textually in Triangle. Women fighting over a man is not my favorite thing. That's a bummer. It's a trope that I'm very tired of. Um, So I'm I'm not a big fan of that. But I love the new set. I love this new, you know, library, this this layer central, you know, space. Um, It's just everything about the magic box I adore I think it's just wonderful the only thing I missed was Tara there's no yeah. Tara in this episode yeah yes and her her absence was felt it is but of felt. course Tara would figure out in 30 seconds what all was going on so you know. this is true <laughs> this is true she's a little she's a little OP she's, she's a touch little, OP she's a for the OP. magical yeah realm yeah but yeah yeah I I love it. I love, and I love the the contrast, right? Yeah. The retail chaos with everything yeah. that's kind of, you know, the like quiet home life. And then later the post work day uh-huh. stupor yes. that they're all in while oh Buffy is I love fighting that. something that she's never. I love that when Joss like, Anya, Anya. Anya, do you want a job? Can we talk about it tomorrow? And I'm just like, yes, I love that. I love that whole thing. I think that's so wonderful. that is set up from Anya's first appearance in this episode. Her, you know, your your conjuring powder's I can hook you up with the troll that sheds it. I love that. With the troll that sheds it. (laughs) Yep. Oh, it's so good. That is, I love it. I I love it Uh when the writing is just so on that is so good i'll hook i could hook you up with the troll i'll that hook sheds you up it. with the troll that sheds that i freaking love that okay um, anya do we have to talk about <laughs> riley i guess we should 
We can. I mean, he's barely in the he's episode. Barely he's there. He does okay for himself. Just to I mean, whine right. about how he's not strong enough. And then when Buffy brings him in to help with the, um, it's you know what is it? It's yeah, magic it's incense ma- it's and spooky magic sand. incense is spooky sand. Um, yeah, yeah, but at the same time, he does say like. How about we agree to take care of each yeah, other? Yeah, I like that. I do I like, like that. that. I do like that. You know, and I I also think have a nice trip is really cute. It is cute. It's just, it is that's cute. a cute exit. But, I just yeah, don't like I mean, Riley. I think that there's nothing he can do that's going to please me at this point. I'm always going to be annoyed by <laughs> Riley. And you know what? I take that. I take that as my that's, thing. That's fine. And not necessarily fair or right. But yeah. So it's. Yeah fine yeah. it's all fine mm-hmm. oh my goodness all right noel what are you wearing all right so we get the first appearance of glory mm-hmm. in all her glory in her she's giving me like cameron diaz in the mask yeah like she's so sex potty in this really fascinating way especially considering that she even calls out the clothes mm-hmm. as something she hates about the meat suit right. and i'm just i'm like wow okay the the implied <laughs> the implied complexity in okay you hate having a body and i get it yeah. and you hate having to dress it and i get it uh-huh. but this is what you choose right i'm just fascinated mm-hmm. i'm just i there are no words and then of course her stiletto her spike heel sandal is the thing that keeps her from fully pursuing uh-huh. Buffy out the window in this kind of fairy tale esque, you yeah. know, it's like your ruby slippers uh just borked yeah. on you there. You know, it's a Cinderella not quite moment. I don't know. I I enjoy I really enjoy Glory's appearance. Yeah. Um it's good. It's that bright red you know like the that combination yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and the combination of how she's dressed with her her complex mm-hmm. affect yeah <laughs> I'm like I'm trying not to use the word crazy uh because that's a problematic word for a number of reasons but clearly I am tempted <laughs> I am tempted to use it about glory mm-hmm. not in a Hmm. This is so tricky. Well, Not because in we a... don't have language that doesn't have the stigma on it. You know, we don't have language that can express that that kind of affect. Um, well, and because yeah. she is the because she is specifically she is a crazy woman mm-hmm. as a trope yeah. of television and cinema. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is this dismissive kind of yeah feminized way. Of dismissing someone's right emotions and hysteria, whole, right? Yes, she's in hysterics, yes. right? In a certain yes. to a certain degree, that's usually meant yeah. to to describe a an emotional uh, space instead of a but but this like but you she's, know, she's hysterical, she's unstable, yeah. you know, she's or, she's she's in a reality flipping space, right? Like I think that reality mm-hmm. warps 
at a certain point and then she needs to like you know steal mental energy from somebody to hold it together so she's also manic though yeah. because she's having when she's having a great time mm-hmm. she's having the best time in oh, the world despite everything God. that she yes. tells us yes. about hating this whole existence oh she was having fun when she was fighting with buffy she right? loved the meat suit then yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's it is a it's a complex it's a complex cocktail of tropes mm-hmm. and problematic but filled out with this like mystical mean mommy archetype that just works for me and the <laughs> outfit sells it oh like, the outfit's it's, fantastic it's so good it's so mm-hmm. good there's also some just great like they make buffy look just lovely mm-hmm. throughout this episode yeah. i think she's hit some sort of a fashion stride yeah in season five. no she looked good uh, not, mm-hmm. not that i know anything about fashion except that coat that she's wearing when she's fighting the vamp at the beginning yeah. is that like bunny fur it I looks i don't know i imagine it whatever it is it's viciously it's faux furry i hope that it's, it's it looked it looked like bunny fur it's... and i was a little bit like Bunny, okay, that's a, the, it must be an option. All right, so sure. uh, so am I to take this to mean that you are not wearing the Sorcerer's Apprentice outfit? No, <laughs> no, I'd planned on it. I was going to do a big reveal and then <laughs> and just let it go. All oh, right, God, and we just hold the, the amount of silence my that they let exist joke. in that moment. It is one of my favorite jokes in all of Buffy. Just the way she stands there and stares at him. It is so adorable. <laughs> And he's so prim in his little I coat. Know, I and know. then we cut and we shot reverse shot for a good, I don't know. It's a count long of twenty. Time. It's a it's long a time. Long time. Yeah, but it is uh-huh. it is one of my favorite jokes ever. Oh all my right, word. so you got some girl power for me? Oh, not with a girl pal bit. I do. Uh-huh. Um and it's kind of an unconventional okay. girl power. Mm-hmm. Um or maybe it's not. I don't know. But Buffy realizing she can't win the fight mm-hmm. with Glory. And grabbing the monk and getting the hell out of there. Yeah. Like, and using her body as a crash pad for that fall. Yeah, to break his fall. I mean, yeah. That is genuinely heroic. Yeah. Um, But it's also not what we're used to seeing. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, this is our big bad. She's not going to defeat the big bad in the first here. Right. Mm -hmm. But we don't totally know that yet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And. To see Buffy have that moment of, oh, shit, I got to get the hell out of here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, take take the monk and run mm-hmm. is. Take the monk and that, run. Take, take the monk and run. Oh, my God. If That's the saying, if right? We, <laughs> if we were. The only thing is, if we we don't we name our episodes based on the, the episode of Buffy that we do. But if we were doing yeah, names for God. episodes, it would be take the monk and run. Um <laughs> No, I love that. I think it's great. I think that absolutely is a girl power. Knowing when you're you're outmatched is also a powerful thing, you know. So I like that. Yeah. What's your favorite part? <laughs> Out for a walk, bitch. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> They're so okay. It's All right, so maybe good. I'm reading in nuance that's not there, but the he does it in four. Mm-hmm realizes he's got one more word and then picks a choice word it's so I delightful love it it's, it's so, so delightful. great yeah it is it's really I wonderful mean, that whole thing but basically the whole scene with spike mm-hmm. the, and you have stupid hair, and you have stupid hair. <laughs> <laughs> the, it's 
it, it that scene for me is comic relief yeah. in the sense that it is both comic mm-hmm. and such a huge source of relief yes. after all the suspense horror yes. of trance buffy and dawn yes. and warped reality before we find out the nature of warped reality uh-huh. oh god it's so good I know. It's so it's this huge like it is a glass of ice cold water on a hot day when it desperately is just needed. the best yeah no absolutely yes. it is it's yes, so so it good just the best i love that i love that i mean for me um as much as i love spike and you know how much I love Spike. <laughs> I do know uh, how much you love Spike. When Buffy goes to Dawn after everything at the end, knowing what Dawn is, you know, and is just loving to her, you know, just cares mm-hmm. for her. When she touches her hair, she says she's sorry. Um, I, th- that moment is always so touching for me. And, um, and I think it's a wonderful way of illustrating what the stakes are because all we've seen so far in this season is how annoyed Buffy is with Dawn, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but to have this moment where she's, um, she just loves her sister, you know? Um, yeah. And knowing that her sister is, um, is at stake you know, that her sister is in danger. Um, I I absolutely love that. And it's one of my favorite things. And also Giles' thousand yard stare at the magic box (laughs) and hiring Anya. (laughs) I had a lot of things that I really loved in this episode. (laughs) There are a lot of things to really love in this episode. There are, I know, right? All right. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, come find us on social media. I am at Lonnie Dying Rich on Twitter and Noel is at Noel Allowed on Instagram. And the hashtag is still pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad free right now. So thank you to all of our April producers. Sarah, Shelley, Kristen, Kevin, Alice, Erica, Abigail, West, and Jonathan. And this week's special message for our power producers. You can't just go around hitting people. What, were you born in a barn? <laughs> to find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or crap a better existence than this. We will be back next time with Family, the sixth episode of season five. Until then, newsflash hairdo, it's not always about you. You.